0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: And welcome back, everybody. Another edition here of the Auburn Undercover Podcast on the 24-7 Sports Network. My name is Nathan King, joined here by our publisher today, Ronnie Sanders. And we have a very special guest on the show for you guys today, Mr. Paul Feinbaum, Joins us, obviously, a great voice here in the SEC, has been for many, many years. Paul, first of all, thank you so much for joining us today. And, uh, and how has this offseason been treating you? It's certainly uh, certainly a lot different than it used to be. Yeah,
2: Nathan and Ronnie, it's it's been really calm. Uh, last year, there were so many explosions with uh, the NIL and the Jimbo Fisher situation with Saban. This year, quite frankly, there hasn't been that much news, which is okay with me.
1: Yeah, I guess I mean, how is this? How is the process of of what you guys do over on the SEC network and at ESPN? Um, how has that process really changed over the last few years with the emerge? I know everybody says you know, oh, NIL and transfer portal. You know, similar similar factors have been in play for a long time, um, but it really seems like this portion of the off season is a little bit different than it's been before. Has that really changed for you guys, or have you done have you done anything different in that regard? Well, the
2: the biggest change is that you know, I started my career many years ago. Uh, as an investigative reporter and what you used to look into and, and try to ferret it out. And I mean, there was a time back in the day when I was in Birmingham that I spent several months working on a story involving uh, Alabama uh, and NCAA and And I don't want either one of you to be too surprised by that. Um, and, and the idea that today uh, it's perfectly legal, or if it's not legal, nobody cares, is, is really the biggest change I've seen. And it just doesn't matter. Uh, you know, you could come to me today and say, "Hey, by the way, I, I've uh, heard something about some player, you know, getting this or that," and I would say, "Well, who cares? Because it's it's not going to matter. Uh, nobody's going to look into it." And just like the other day, we saw the situation with Will Wade, uh, L- the former LSU basketball coach. 25 years ago, he probably would have been drummed out of the business. Uh, today, he got a 10 game a 10 game suspension at McNeese State, and As soon as he gets to the NCAA, there he'll probably get a big time job again. No question.
3: What do you think of um, what do you think Nick Saban thought when Hugh Freeze was hired? I think he was bothered by it
2: um, because Nick Saban knows how good a coach Hugh Freeze is, And, and and I think we we harp so much on oh well Hugh Freeze beat him twice. That that's part of the narrative. And we know that that has happened so infrequently, but not, not only that, guys. Uh, I mean, Hugh Freeze is is a respected coach the, to the degree that Nick Saban wanted to hire him, uh, and the SEC wouldn't let them uh, technically, even though you know they've you know there was some gray area around that. Uh, he thinks the world to him, and he was more than happy to have Gus Malzahn down there those last couple of years recruiting poorly. And I can't tell how, tell you how excited he was to have Brian Harson, who uh, who knew less about recruiting uh, in, in the SEC than than the Eagle that flies into Jordan Hare Stadium every Saturday afternoon.
3: Eagle probably eagle probably knows more than Harson did.
0: <laughs> I,
2: that is a rumor, I, I, unconfirmed, of course.
1: I think the Eagle probably knew more people and uh, on the campus. That no, uh, I mean, the
2: eagle had the eagle saw more of Auburn just flying in than Brian Harson did in two years. No question. Uh, yeah, he knows how he knows what a good recruiter uh, Hugh Freeze is. He, he knows what a really outstanding play caller he is. He wouldn't have tried to hire him. And 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 I think for the most part, Nick Saban has had it pretty easy at Alabama in relation to Auburn. Uh, I mean, I, I was around at a time when and even Ronnie was uh, when when he worked down there in the early days where Auburn, Alabama recruiting was a big deal. Now it's, it, it hasn't, it really hasn't been lately because Auburn has not recruited at the highest level uh, in man, I can't, I can't remember what I'll defer to you guys, but it's been a long time since Auburn recruited
3: uh, at the top one, two, three, four level in in college football. It's been a long time and, and um, you know, it's, it's, Freeze has really been, to me, he's been really impressive the way he started out. I mean, I think when you tell me, Paul, what compared from a fit standpoint, how does, how does Kiffin compare to, I'm, I'm sorry, how does Freeze compare to like a, like a Lane Kiffin that everybody was talking about?
2: Uh, I'm glad you asked me that because I, I frankly think Lane Kiffin would have been a misfit at Auburn. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a fan of Lane Kiffin. Uh, I, I know what a good coach he is and, and how smart he is. And, and I like him immensely, but I, I, I thought that was the wrong move for him because Auburn is different. I don't. I, I will not sit here in, uh, in uh, North Carolina and try to lecture two guys in Auburn uh, or in Alabama, you know, how important Auburn fit is and what it matters. But, but, but I, I know, having covered that program for many, many years, that Lane would not have been comfortable there. And Hugh Freeze just dove in. He knew the terrain already. Uh, in some ways, thanks not only thanks to uh, being in the league, but but being friends with Gus malzon he saw a lot of, of Auburn being down there when when his when his kids went to school there uh, and visiting with Malzon He understood the complexity, and it's a it's a complex job. Uh, there there are a lot of there are a lot of things you have to check, uh, and and he got all that on day, he got all that before day one. Most people can get down there and adapt. It, it's happened before. Uh, I don't think it would have ever happened with Kiffin. And we know it never would have happened with Hartzell. No, and, and I, I'm I'm at a disadvantage. I mean, as much as I'm, I love to make fun of people, uh, I genuinely like Hartzell. Uh, in fact, we texted not long ago. He was he, he saw me on something and was checking in with. Uh, and you know, I, he's. I mean, you don't want to beat up on this guy because he's like a like a like a lost dog. Uh, you just want to help him home. And unfortunately, he's he's found his way home. Uh, <laughs> he, he should have never gotten that job. Uh, I don't blame him for taking it. I, I do blame him for not making the most out of it, though, because I think he was a good enough football coach, X's and O's, that if he had hired the right people around him, if he had been willing to listen, uh, you know, he could have been more successful. But, you know, it's over. So uh, the, the Hartsfield jokes will go on, on deaf ears other than what I've already said here today.
3: How do you think from an alignment standpoint? I mean, you've been around a long time. I mean, I, for me, it looks like Auburn is more aligned – than it's been since Pat died, Bobby Louder days. Are you, what are you yeah, I, I, I'm glad you, brought you
2: mentioned Bobby Louder because I spent a lot of time around him uh, in my uh, uh, career. And for all the criticism that Bobby Louder received, Ronnie, he was really a, a tremendous benefit to Auburn. Uh, he ran that program uh, and, and he had consensus on the board. Don't, don't ever think he didn't. But th- th- there was no gray area. And a guy like, Brian Harson would have never made it very long. He would have never been hired, first of all. Uh, and, and I think with John Cohn in there, he understands the SEC. He understands small towns, how, how the political hierarchy is. I, I think the president down there, while not the critical factor in day to day, is important. Uh, and, and I say that because I ran into—I'll uh, try to remember his name—but it was it was five thirty in the morning, about two years ago. I ran to Steve Leaf uh, at the uh, Charlotte Airport. I was flying somewhere, and uh, he was the former Auburn president, and he was still belly aching about how he was treated. And that's your guy. If you want to blame somebody for the last five years, five six years of Auburn football, that's your guy. He's the one that that gave uh, Malzahn the raise when he should have been fired. He's the one. That uh, brought in the AD that should have never come in, and and he, uh, he he's ultimately uh, at blame for the mess that Auburn's in. A president, N- no less. No
1: question. No. Nope. Paul, how much do you think that aspect of things, at the end of the day, I guess what what percentage of that would you say is is important to a team's long term success? Like, I mean, I think you look at what Nick Saban has done at Alabama, um, you know, other successful programs, the word autonomy gets thrown around a lot with, with Hugh Freeze in place. Now, that's not something we've really heard that much. We heard it about, you know, with Brian Harson the last year, he was there. Oh, he doesn't have control over X, Y, and Z within his program. How much of that do you think is factual and actually, you know, really, really, you know, plays a part in the successful program. And how much of that do you think can be overblown in, in some instances? Uh,
2: I think it's critical. Uh, and, you know- what people don't understand is the president of the university is not down there at the athletic department every day, you know, checking uh, to see if everyone gets to practice on time, but he signs off on the people who do and is alerted when there are problems. And if there isn't alignment, it's a, it's a cliche phrase, but it's important and it's critical. Uh, You, you can't overblow that. Uh, And and I've seen schools uh, that, have failed because there, there was not commonality. Now, going back, you mentioned Saban. What was the key to Nick Saban's success at Alabama? You know, some people say, well, he's the greatest coach of all time. Well, he he, he he very well has turned out to be the greatest coach of all time, but he had an athletic director in Mal Moore on day one who understood him. Mal Moore's history, not to give a manifesto here uh, on, on ancient history, was Bear Bryant's. Offensive coordinator, he knew the way the game was played at the highest level with the greatest coach. And Mal went out and brought in Saban. He convinced Saban that there would no, there would not be any inter- interference. He had a president down there who, who understood that paying money was important. And when Saban came in, he went a step further. Nick Sabin went to every booster club uh, that mattered, and he read them the Riot Act. I mean, think about this. He literally walked in using foul language and said, you, you people stay the blank away from me. Uh, And and what he meant by that is I want you to support the program, but don't get in my way. I know what I'm doing. And that helped Saban uh, develop a recruiting plan without interference. And and I think that's always been one of the problems at, at, at schools is you, you you have, it it was always the problem at Alabama. You always had too many people uh, in the middle of it. Now that really, you know, Auburn has, has been more fortunate, I think, if you look at history. Uh, all the names of people get criticized, uh, that you hear criticism of, Louder, uh, Jimmy Rain. These, these in some ways, are the, the folks that have helped the program the most. I'm, I remember running into Jimmy Rain about five years ago uh, at an event I was hosting in Birmingham. And, and he, he looked at me and said, can you believe we just gave the football coach. He used that phrase. I mean, he was the chairman of the board of trustees. He said, can you believe we gave the football coach a uh, a, uh, a contract extension? And I said, I thought you were involved. And he just shook his head. And what he was talking about was Malzon's last extension. And, you know, you can say whatever you want about, about Jimmy, but he knows football. Uh, he really does. Uh, and, and he and Louder together made a very good team. And they weren't the only ones. There were other people uh, that had a seat at the table. But for the success that Auburn has had in football over the last 40 years is, is really uh, due to those men understanding that you can't have too many people in the way. And I know that sounds uh, contradictory to what a lot of people believe because it's so easy to go on a message board and, and take a shot at, uh, at the biggest and the most uh, well-known and the richest. But in, in Auburn's case, those people have helped.
3: I remember when, when Saban was hired at, at Alabama, our friend Pat Smith called me. <laughs> he, said, he said, well, what do you think? I said, things are about to change. <laughs> and, they, and they certainly did. And, um, you know, I, I think a big, a big thing that helped Saban was that it was almost, I mean, you tell me, Paul, it was almost like Tuberville checked out at the end. Um, well, Tuberville
2: was obsessed with Saban. And instead of going after Sabin, he sat around and complained about Saban. Uh, I, I know uh, because I was friends with Tuberville and I heard this. And, and it's too bad because Tommy Tuberville was a good football coach. Uh, and he could have dealt with Saban had he not gone through all the, the jet gate stuff. And listen, not enough time to go back and, and detail all that. But, but he was slipping. Uh, and that's how tough these guys were, Uh the, the only mistake that was made or the biggest mistake that was made is that the university got involved in that, uh, that you do that stuff back channels. You, you do not, uh, you know, get the president and the athletic director on the, on the school and on, on, on the school plane or, or Bobby Louder's plane and, and, and go up uh, as a group. Uh, Tuberville knew about that before the plane got back and he made sure that the world knew about it, which saves his job. Now, in fairness to tu- Tuberville, he went out the next year and had a perfect season uh, it was unfair that he didn't win the national championship. Had he won, I, things may have been different, but he never could get over it. So by the time Nick Saban showed up, uh, Tommy Tuberville was not recruiting well. Uh, he was he was gone. You're right, Ronnie.
3: Speaking of JetGate, what are your thoughts on Petrino and Jimbo getting along this season?
2: Well, uh, I don't have a lot. I haven't had a lot of encounters with Bobby Petrino, but the last one I did have uh, was uh, – was in Russ Campbell's office, Ronnie, uh, who, <laughs> who, who you know is a Birmingham attorney who represented Petrino, and Petrino was trying to get an interview for the Auburn job. I guess this was when uh, when Chizik got it, and he wanted to talk to me. I mean, he, he actually was so desperate. I kid you not, he uh, he wanted to talk to me and hope that I could help him. Now I had no more influence than uh, than some, you know guy on the street uh you know picking up grass uh uh, picking up leaves but but i i sat there and listened to him he's changed uh i mean i I genuinely believe bobby petrino is not the snake in the grass that he's always been um now how they get along i think will depend on 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 how well the team plays if they start falling apart if, if petrino makes the wrong call then jimbo will turn on him uh, and it will be a disaster. But I, I think it was a it was a, a good idea, though, because Jimbo was out of them.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with you as far as the, the coaching perspective. I'm not sure how long they're going to get away. I'm not sure how they're going to get along personality wise. The, the good news for the good news for A&M, uh,
2: if, if Bobby Petrino does fairly well. Uh, in in his lane, and Jimbo blows up. You can always move Petrino in, uh, and he is he is eminently capable of running that program. I mean, there's not a doubt in the world that he could he could be a head coach. And I'm sure that was in the back of his mind as he was sharpening his blades uh, before he p- packed his bags for College Station.
3: You know, it's funny you say that. I posted on the message board the other day. Who do you think gets fired first, Jimbo or Petrino? Because if it's Jimbo, then Petrino takes over. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I I mean the money is enormous to get rid of Jimbo, but but I, I, I and I, I'm of the opinion that he is going to get things turned around this year. But if if I'm wrong, and that's about as easy to be wrong about something like this as to be right, then don't get hung up with you know the typical sports writer talk. Oh well, you know they can't they can't buy him off. They can buy him off. Uh, we're talking about Texas A and M, and seventy million dollars is a lot to us. It's not a lot to them.
3: How do you think, um, jumping out from from A&M, how do Texas and Oklahoma fit? And how do you think, um, from a scheduling standpoint, how, how does it look going going from playing, you know, three really tough games a year to playing eight or nine? Well, I think, I think the second part of that is going to be dramatic uh,
2: because, you know, you're going to start seeing a, a change in the schedule record that we've we've never seen before i mean and and it won't be as dramatic in as we think it will because if you go nine and three you can still make the playoff and the playoff is really going to override everything else it's it's not in the days of of easy 12 and uh 12 and 0 records are gone it would be extremely tough to to get through that but as far as oklahoma and texas ronnie i think texas is better situated than oklahoma uh which is surprising but oklahoma is one of these schools that still hasn't gotten over by uh, Lincoln Riley leaving uh, because they were so invested in him, and you know they had that run uh, of of heisman's and, and great quarterbacks. They had three straight quarterbacks who were Heisman finalists, two won the two, two won the award. and they 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 really lost a year in in the translation when Venables came on board. I, I believe he's recruiting a lot better now. And I think they'll they'll bounce back. But Texas is in a good spot. Now, Texas can't afford a bad season, though, because Sarkeesian is not exactly on a long leash.
1: Kind of on that same note, Paul, relating it back to Auburn a little bit, you know, at spring meetings, that was Hugh Freeze's biggest focus when people were talking about the schedule. You know, eight, eight versus nine games. He said, well, look, I don't want to play nine games and then be penalized for a worse record when in another reality, I wouldn't even be playing that many games. You, you kind of hit on it there by saying that that's going to be the bigger focus as, as you're looking ahead. I know it's, you know, we haven't even played this season in front of us, um, but what were kind of your overall thoughts on that 2024 schedule for the SEC and, and how it shook out? And I guess how many SEC teams you talked about it, a nine and three team could get in pretty often from the SEC. How many SEC teams do you, do you see maybe in that first year? Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I, mean, I think realistically
2: you're looking at three. Uh, there could be outliers sometimes. Uh, and I thought they did a good job. They took a lot of heat for not going to nine and being down in Destin that week, guys. Uh, I think the conference made the right decision at the moment. Uh, and it was kind of awkward because everyone kept you know, reporting that ESPN had not delivered on the money. So there I was working for ESPN, trying to cover a story that involved my bosses who were not exactly forthcoming uh, in, in letting us know what the deal was. Uh, so I, I, I think this, I think, I think the, the the money will be there soon. And I think the number will go to nine because I believe that it will not penalize them that much. And that's why they went to that super schedule you you saw with Georgia playing Alabama, things like that. But when they get to the nine game schedule, I think you'll, you'll be right back to where we were a couple of months ago when everybody was reporting what every school was playing in, in relation to the three permanent and and then the six rotating. And I, I think it will shake out, uh, I mean, the SEC, as you guys know, uh, is a class system a league where you have the upper class, the middle, and then there, there are those at the bottom who probably are not going to be helped by any of this, but there's not much we can do about it. Auburn's the one that I think has the most to gain because Auburn really is an upper division uh, school that has played in the middle uh, for, for a while,
3: Long term, what do you see SEC scheduling wise? I mean, do you see uh, you know, Tennessee and Alabama not playing each other every year? Auburn and Georgia? I mean, how do you see those things?
2: Yeah, I, I think there are uh, there are a handful of games that are going to survive every year, and you know, Auburn Alabama probably would be number one, and I, I think Auburn Georgia is pretty close behind. Uh, that is a, a game that means a lot to both sides, and I think those games will prevail. The, the, you know, Tennessee. Uh, Alabama is a tough one because a- Alabama is, is on Auburn's list. It's, it's on LSU's list. So I think, I, th- I mean, can you really realistically make the three permanent games for, for Alabama, Auburn, LSU, and Tennessee? Well, it looks like the league was about to, and that's what, you know, Saban suddenly decided he no, he no longer liked something that he had been in favor of for 11 years. And, uh, he he no longer liked the nine games, and I I, I know that so well because I was the first uh, interview he gave. I think it was in 2010 or 11 when he came out and said we we have to have nine games, and he never deviated until about three months ago when he found out who his nine games were going to consist of. But I I think the league has to keep and preserve those. Everybody won't get three good ones because there aren't uh, Texas will, A and M will, Arkansas will, but. You know, South Carolina was a big loser. I mean, Ronnie, their three biggest games of the year right now in the conference are, uh, I think, Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida, and they lost all of them.
3: Hello. By the way, ask me if I care. <laughs> Speaking of South Carolina, what do you think of Ben?
2: I like him. Uh, you know, at first I wasn't sure. Because, you know, he was uh, this coaching search reminded me of some Auburn coaching searches where it seemed like uh, the former players were making the decision as opposed to the the suits in, in the in the front office. But it turned out that they knew what they were doing, that he had had such an impact on recruiting when he had previously been there and uh, had done similar work when he was at Oklahoma. And he's he spent a brief period of time, I think, with Kirby as well, that that he he came in uh you know, bringing a breath of fresh air, and just when you, you you thought it was over for him, you know, blowing a game badly to Florida, he he were, he comes back and he beats Tennessee and Clemson and pretty much cinches his uh, mortality for or immortality for a long, long time. It it helped have Spencer Rattler playing like a championship
0: quarterback. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: Paul, I got a big kick out of, uh, I think it was two or three weeks ago. Okay, it was at spring meetings for sure, um, and you and Mike Griffith, and he said, I think Alabama still has a chance to compete for the West. Talking about LSU obviously being the, the returning um, champion there from that, that side of the division. That's going to be a big storyline this season, seeing what happens there in the West. What are some other, you know, as you're kind of just looking at a quick checklist for this upcoming fall, What are some other SEC storylines, maybe continuations from last year, new things that are coming up this season? What what have you kind of got your eye on as we get closer to the season?
2: I'm really interested in Ole Miss. Uh, I mean, Kiffin's now making $10 million a year. And I I, I say this as somebody who's already established my bona fides for him. What has he done? Uh, He ended the season losing five straight. He should have beaten Alabama. He didn't. So what can he do? Uh, And By the way, he also lost the Egg Bowl at home, which is something that you're not allowed to do uh, in that state. So I'm watching that story closely. I'm watching Sam Pittman at Arkansas. Uh, Everyone loves him, but at some point you have to make forward progress on the field. Uh, Missouri is a a conundrum. Uh, I I would think Eli Drinkwitz is certainly feeling some heat based on – the, I mean, I know he got a contract extension, but we all know that doesn't mean very much. The a and story has already been mentioned. That's the, probably the most intriguing story is what happens out there. Uh, you know, Florida is fascinating from a Billy Napier standpoint. He's recruiting well, but he he cannot afford a disastrous season. He's already had that. And another one would put him squarely in trouble. And does Tennessee uh, – is Tennessee back for real? Uh, was what we saw last year the real deal. Uh, can anybody figure out how to stop stop Hypo? I know those who were – uh, a laundry lo- probably you mentioned the story that I'm most interested in, though, and that's that you know is 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 Nick Saban slipping or sinking toward the abyss? Uh, is he losing his fastball, or is or was last year an aberration? Uh, and what's interesting about Saban, and I, I say this that I covered the end of Bryant, so I've seen the I, I've seen this before. It, there are some similarities. It's very slight. It's very minor. It's hard to quantify. But you now have sports writers, sports uh, personalities, even like Griffith, who's, you know, who's a unicorn, uh, saying things like, well, maybe he's not the best coach anymore. I mean, you could not have said that a couple of years ago. And, Ronnie, you work for the man. I've only covered him. But you can only imagine. What's going through Nick Saban's mind watching Kirby Smart win two straight and hearing uh, this slowly but surely uh, paper cut uh, approach by the media on him? Most will defend him to death, but there are a few who are stepping out now.
3: Oh, You've gotten rid of uh, of a clown at Auburn, and the LSU situation with with is has remedied itself. I mean, when you look at Freeze and you look at Brian Kelly – um, how much has the division changed, and how does that how does that affect Alabama and, and Saban? It's, it's dramatically,
2: uh, and you know if you're if you're if you're uh, handing out Bozo the Clown helmets, let's uh, let's give one to Jeremy Pruitt as well. Uh, and you know what, what's happened? Uh, you know Tennessee lost, a, uh, you know it makes a change. Saban loses, at Alabama uh, Alabama loses at Tennessee, LSU. And, and again, I, I don't even consider the. Uh, the 19 season at LSU to be legitimate in terms of this conversation, we all know what they did, but that was a once uh, in a generation team with Joe Burrow and and everyone else. Uh, I mean, Ogeron had less to do with that uh, than 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 the, than the players. I mean, he re- he recruited them. I, I'm, I'm aware. So uh, it's t- it's tougher. Uh, it's and I think I think the one threat that that Saban really hasn't had is 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 in state and. You know, the Brian, uh, you know, Brian Harson nearly beating Saban uh, two years ago. You know, what what does that mean? I I don't know. I'm I'm in some ways I'm glad it didn't happen. It was a, it would have been a, a massive upset. But on the other hand, uh, tell me uh, if I'm wrong or right here. But I think Brian Harson would still be at Auburn. Uh, I mean, beating Alabama would carry some some weight. It wouldn't last forever, but it probably would have uh, been enough to get him over the hump in the short term. But Saban has always struggled at uh, Jordan Stadium, so that's that isn't uh, earth shattering. But but I think I think what, it, what he what he hasn't had to deal with is recruiting uh, with Auburn, and Auburn is, is now making inroads in that regard. And and I think that's even even when Gus Malzahn beat him every couple of years, it wasn't because of recruiting. Saban has almost always had the best team. Uh, we know that. Uh, he just hasn't always made the right decisions. Like, you know, you know, who's ever going to forget? You know, putting a second back on the clock in the twenty thirteen Alabama-Auburn game. I mean that. I mean, no, no one ever brings that up. But you talk about, you know, some of the stupidest decisions in college football history. I would put that one pretty high.
3: Well, and I, I think if you look back at history too, we mentioned um, Auburn almost beating Alabama at at uh, Jordan Hare under under Harson. That I was at that game. I think it had more to do with Jordan Hare than it did. To do with Harson, <laughs>
2: absolutely. No, I, I would, I totally agree with you. Um, uh, I think I saw you down there that weekend, Ronnie. And uh, Harson was was he, he? He, I mean, he was using cliches like uh, you know. I'm not afraid of a fight. I mean, I, he, he didn't have any idea that was going to happen uh, the day before when I saw him, or I think it was that morning when I saw him as well. But it it happened, and big deal. Uh, you know, that that game doesn't matter now, but. Uh, I, I think, you know, back to the original theme early on about alignment. And if you had told me uh, in, during the coaching search at Auburn that, that while it was going on in November and, and, and early December, that sitting here at, uh, in, in late June, early July, we would, we would feel good about Auburn, uh, it would have been hard to believe because who out there, uh, I mean, even Hugh Freeze, uh who was mentioned right alongside with kiffin uh there were question marks about uh, i mean there were, there were plenty of doubts about whether he was really the right person uh i mean there weren't any doubts from a football standpoint but but he 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 overcame all that so quickly and so dramatically uh that it's never been mentioned again
3: yeah i agree i, I was i had my thought i uh, had my doubts but the way that he's come in and really won Auburn people over, uh, and, and he's, like I said before, I think he was probably a better fit uh, than Kiffin, um, you know, and even on the outside looking in, it, it was almost like Kiffin was a, was a safer pick. Uh, but if you look at it from Auburn's perspective and the way things ended up, um, t- to me, it looks like that. that
2: yeah. And, uh, and you know, people, people mention Ronnie, well, why didn't they go after Deion Sanders? Well, uh, I mean, Deion Sanders, uh, I mean, he and Kiffin are not the same person, but, yeah, I don't really know if Deion Sanders was going to work well down there. Uh, I think he's brilliant. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan, but, but Auburn's different. Uh, and, yeah, you know, I, I know that having covered the program many years ago, having been there countless times, you guys know that because you're, you're intricately uh, connected to it. Uh, but ultimately, you have to get somebody in there who knows their way around. And if, if you trigger certain – I mean, there, there are landmines at Auburn – like there, there are at other schools. And if you, if you step on the wrong one too soon, uh, you, the chance of survival uh, has been curtailed dramatically.
3: For sure. Well, how long do you, do you do you see Freeze getting up to the point where they can compete for the playoff and make the playoff? And how long?
2: Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Uh, I do. Uh, and I mean, all I can do is look back on, on his career. Uh, And and maybe what he did at Liberty might be more telling than what he did at at Ole Miss because, I mean, he, he took a program that was certainly okay and he made them really quite good. Uh, And I think he did that because he was able to attract players. Uh, And I think that's the key. You know, what did he do at Ole Miss? Uh, He attracted a, a different caliber of player. I mean, those players that he had in, 13 14 15 uh, i mean those were amazing players and and you know he he didn't always get the, the most out of them i mean he but he did enough where you know you could tell this was a legitimate program and i i don't i think auburn is fairly easy to recruit to and you know now that auburn has the alignment and you know why, why do i say that well cuz cuz auburn auburn people are all in right now and you can interpret that any way you want. But if you if you're if your fan base and your alums and your donors are not all in, you're not going to win uh, because you have to have the money underneath to support the program, however it is done. And, and I, I was talking to Frieza in Destin recently, and I, mean, I think he's even even Hugh is startled by what's going on in the SEC. Uh, but I don't think he'll be startled long because uh, he understands what what you
1: have to do. Uh, however you have to do it and interpret that any way you want. What are your year one expectations for him? And what do you think would constitute a successful first season for him?
2: Yeah, I I think uh, my my expectations are are moderately uh, reasonable, but I think a bowl game and maybe a little bit more than that uh, would be, would be great. Uh, And when I say more than that, I mean, six and six, is doable with Auburn's schedule, but I think he can do better than that. I mean, I, I probably have them around seven and five, but you know, in the SEC, uh, you know, he has to win the non-conference games. I mean, I think that's a foregone conclusion, and, and I think he will. You know, what do you do with those those tweener games? I mean, those you know, the the games that, that are the, – the 50-50 jump ball games. I mean, we saw what happened – what was it uh, last year the, the year before I can't remember the, the, the Missouri debacle? I mean, you know, they won the game, but it felt like a loss. And those are games that you absolutely have to win. You, you have to, uh, you have to beat Mississippi state. Uh, I mean, I mean you guys tell me if that hasn't been a problem lately. So uh, you just, you, you have to manage the bottom of the, of the sec and, and, and the, and the lower, the, the lower half and, and maybe, Pull something off somewhere. I mean, the fact that – I mean, let me tell your audience something they already know, that three of Auburn's opponents are going to be ranked in the preseason top six or seven. Well, okay. Uh, Those are not games I I expect Auburn to win. But after that,
1: why not? Yeah, and you mentioned the non-conference isn't bad for them this season. And we talked about it on on your show not long ago. Paul, what is the difference that a quarterback like Peyton Thorne – Makes does that take you from six? You know, the quarterback position is obviously so important, and it's something that maybe Auburn fans took for granted a little bit when they had Bo Nix. Seeing what happened last season, now they're back to maybe having a serviceable to average quarterback, which you know is 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 a luxury at times, especially when you look at Auburn recently.
2: Yeah. By the way, speaking of Bo Nix, I mean he will definitely break the the NCAA record of having started, I think, ten straight years. I've never seen anything like him, Um, but. If Nathan, what you said is correct. If, if, if Thorne gives them one more win than they, than they, than they thought they were going to have, it's a big deal. And, and I think what Auburn needs, you know, let's say they get seven wins. Uh, and, and that would not be a surprise to very many people. Then, you know, how do you get the momentum? You, you win a bowl game. I, I mean, it sounds trite because some of these bowl games really are not worth watching, but you look at some of the programs that have won bowl games uh, in the infancy of a coach, and it really does make a difference. It, it carries a long way, and and that's what you're trying to get right now. Uh, Auburn has had so little momentum in recent years; it's just been so dreary and so dull. So you you have a, the fans are going to be there. Uh, no, Auburn fans are not going to bow out on Hugh Freeze. And I'll, I'll add one more thing, which we haven't talked about. Uh, and nobody can predict the end of Saban. Uh, you simply can't. But I would much rather be the Auburn coach beginning my career in 2023 as Nick Saban's career is in doubt than in 2013 or at some other uh, place when when Saban was ascending. His program is not ascending anymore. Uh, They may win a national championship again because that's often the, the end result of enormous talent. But this is a good time to be the Auburn coach because you're... You're still young and vibrant, and your program uh, has a lot of a uh, lot of dirt to plow through. We don't know about Alabama's. Uh, we really don't. And and even though you don't view Auburn and Alabama the way we used to, ten years ago, twenty years ago, or even at the beginning of my career, a little bit more than forty years ago, uh, it's still critically important in that state. And. And I will I will take my shots against Nick Saban today uh, gladly, and 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 I think Hugh Freeze would too. That's that's another reason why, you, when you asked the question earlier, had Nick Saban slept the night that Hugh Freeze was hired, I'm
3: willing to bet not very well. Speaking of the Ole Miss job and, and Lane Kiffin, and you know a lot of the a lot of the Mississippi media has talked about well since Kiffin turned down the Auburn job, Ole Miss is a better job, uh, and I've heard that over and over, kind of been. What are your thoughts? Um, it's not.
2: Uh, <laughs> uh, and and my experience of this, is this is now the second time I've dealt with it. I, I dealt with it with Tuberville uh, because I knew Tuberville before he took the job and talked to him a, a little bit about going to Auburn. And he never had a doubt which was the better job. And I don't either. And, you know, again, I'll, I'll spare you the, this is not a put down of all Miss. It's a great place. But the commitment at all Miss, uh, I mean, it may be strong right now, but it's not easy to do. And so you have to ask yourself the question, why was Lane Kiffin even considering leaving All Miss to go to Auburn? And and I think the answer is pretty self-explanatory, that he didn't have enough faith in the infrastructure at All Miss to fully support him to deal with what we are currently dealing with. Now, I will offer – in the last six months, all, Ole Miss has made leaps and bounds. Uh, they have moved forward in, in in many, many different directions. But I still don't think if you compare Auburn, uh, what Auburn, uh, you know, the 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 zeal of Auburn alums and boosters to Ole Miss, that it, it it's a close call. I think quite clearly Auburn is the better job.
3: We got a couple more questions, then we'll let you go. But what do you see? Uh, which SEC jobs do you see opening this year, if any?
2: Well, I think the most uh, likely, uh, if you're looking around, would be Missouri. Uh, I think that, that he's vulnerable. Um, after that, I don't think there's a, uh, a red flashing light. Uh, I don't think Florida will open uh, in spite of the record, and it's not going to be very good. Uh, the, the Mississippi schools, I think, are, are in solid ground. Arkansas, uh, a bad year would certainly create angst, but I don't think it would be enough. Um, and I mean, I, I I think you have to always, if you're if you're a smart uh, poker player, you know, put at least one chip down on Texas A&M
3: for sure. Um, and then we'll wrap up um, with. We've had some questions on the message board since you outed me a few months ago. Uh, (laughs) Tell us about Mildred from Tuscaloosa. Well, my favorite story on Mildred and
2: Ronnie will hear this uh, probably until the day I die. Uh, But, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, we kept getting this call Nathan from this woman named Mildred. And one day uh, Ronnie was up in the studio and I somehow the subject came up and I said to him, I said, Ronnie, I don't know I mean, this Mildred keeps calling, but I am not convinced that Mildred is really a woman. <laughs> I said that with a straight face. And he just broke out, broke out laughing. So I, he said, Hold on a second. And he goes in the other room. I'm pretty sure I remember this correctly, Ronnie. And you call in the show as Mildred. I did. And I mean, I, I mean I was utterly humiliated the fact that I've I've talked to this person countless times and I'm, I'm I'm saying that I didn't know I had no idea Ronnie was Mildred. And then it became a problem though, because (laughs) once I did find out that Ronnie was Mildred, I, it made me nervous knowing what Ronnie was capable of doing as Mildred. (laughs) And it, uh, I mean, I don't know when the last Mildred call was, uh, but it remains. uh, I mean, there's some message board that still has Mildred phone calls up. I, 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 it doesn't matter where I am, I will get questions about Mildred. And, uh, you yeah, know, you always hear people say, man, I, 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 I missed the old Feinbaum show. Well, so do I, because we had, we had Mildred and we don't anymore. Those were fun times.
1: Oh, um, sounds like you need another one, another Mildred call. Hopefully. Yeah. And
2: I, I a lot of people really do believe that Mildred and uh, Coach Bryant had something going on. Bob Douglas. <laughs> well what did you say? They were bumping uglies? Is that what exactly? Okay, yeah. I mean I, I don't we'll I don't know what the uh, PG factor for uh, uh, the Auburn Undercover podcast is. So I'll be we'll a, let a little, the, we'll, we'll be a little more careful. Overlords decide.
1: We'll send well, this off to them. They'll decide what to do. Paul, thanks for being with us. Ronnie, uh Nathan, it was my
2: pleasure. It was a blast being on. Thank you so much. Enjoy. It. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it.